You're listening to a sermon from Pastor Caleb Gordon of First Baptist Church of Cedarville, Kansas. We pray this message encourages and blesses you this week. If you'd like to join us to worship in person, we meet every Sunday at 11 a.m. at 418 Monroe Street in Cedarville, Kansas. We would love to see you. Find out more about us online at our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Cedarvale First Baptist. If these messages bless you in any way, please consider giving to help support the ministry at First Baptist Church. Our mailing address is First Baptist Church, Cedarvale, Kansas, P.O. Box 456, Cedarvale, Kansas, 67024. If you've got a Bible, go to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17, we're continuing our study through the book of Acts. The world around you and I should, should see a dramatic difference in a believer. If if we claim to know the Lord Jesus Christ, if we claim to um, be a part of His body, if if we say we're Christians, there should be a dramatic difference about us as believers. We should not fit in well with the world. Amen? Like we should not, as believers, we should not fit in well with a dark, decaying, and dying world. We should look different. We should sound different. We should be different. Amen? There should be, um, or we should be set apart. We, we, we know that um, we've been set apart by the Holy Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ. And because Jesus has set us apart uh, and we claim to follow Christ, um, there should be something significant about us that is not in step or not in line with the world around us. And and so in the text today, we're going to see some of that play out um, where Paul and Silas and the brothers go and they they preach the word. And so we're going to start in Acts chapter 17 and we're going to be in, we're going to start in verse 1. Now I practiced these couple of names and so if I mess them up, um, just just be gracious with me here. But um, so when, verse 1 of chapter 17. When they had passed through Amphibolus and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in as it was his custom on three Sabbath days, and he reasoned with them from the scriptures. That is very pivotal. You need to pay attention to that. He reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ, not a Christ, but the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous and taking some of the wicked men of the rabble and they formed a mob. Seems to be a, a, a thing that happens to Paul a lot, but they formed a mob and set the city in an uproar, and they attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring him bring them out of the to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And when Jason received and Jason has received them. And they all are acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when 
They had taken money as a security for Jason, and the rest of them, they let them go. Now, like, we've seen, this, we're, we're in chapter 17 now. We've, every city that Paul goes to, every city that Paul preaches in is dramatically altered in some fashion. Amen? There's something that takes place that's dramatically different in the cities. And when Paul and the brothers go in and they proclaim the gospel, things change as it should be. Amen? As it should be. In the text today, Paul visits Thessalonica. And it's his custom to go into the synagogue. And he reasons with them from the scriptures. He reasons with them from the scriptures. He works his way through the text explaining who Jesus is and why it was important. What he did was pivotal for humanity. Makes me think of Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18 where Isaiah says, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be like scarlet, they shall all be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Like, let us come now and reason together. And then I think of Philippians chapter 4, verse 5. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. So this idea of reasoning with people and using the text that, that we... we are to reason with human beings. We are to reason with men and women around us and the foundation or platform upon which we as believers are to reason is to be the scriptures. If we're reasoning with men and women, we should use the scriptures. Amen? The, the scriptures alone are the, the only thing that's going to change a man, woman, boy, or girl's heart is the scriptures. Period. Faith comes by hearing and Hearing by the word of God. Amen? That's what we're called to do. We have, the exa- we have example and exam- example after example in the text. This is how we are to walk as Christians. And, and people are... Look, here's the thing. As you can see from the text, and you know even in your own life, as God's word goes forth, people are genuinely moved towards God by God's word alone. One time I was watching TBN. I know that that is not that is not healthy for me, Um, or my just anything about me is it's just not healthy. But I was doing it nonetheless. And there was a guy on there. They had the guy from Dukes of Hazard, the blonde fellow from Dukes of Hazard, and he was explaining how he came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. He came to know how he became a Christian. And I had to ask the Holy Spirit to give me just a restraint in my own home because I wanted to commit violence in my own home as to, after what he had said. Because he said, I was walking past the picture of Jesus and I saw him and he saw me and I felt something. Okay. First of all, first of all, Having pictures of Jesus is just not wise. Having a photograph or a picture of Jesus on display is not wise, number one. Because it it actually violates one of the Ten Commandments. Um, God actually tells us in Exodus chapter 20 verse 4 that we should not create any likeness or anything that is in heaven. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. 
And here's the thing. If we create something, we're going to worship that. I mean, just, just that statement that he made. I walked past it. I saw him and he saw me. The picture didn't see you. That is, there's, no, there's nowhere in that example that lines up with anything in the text of has, as to how men and women are saved and sanctified and regenerated by the Holy Spirit. Me walking past the picture of Jesus and I saw him and he reminds me of a guy in high school I went to school with. His name was Tim. He said, I saw Linda and she saw me and I felt something and I'm pretty sure she did too. I don't know what that meant, but like it just, it's just weird, right? It, it, and if we make something, if we have a picture of Jesus up, we will worship the things that we create. That's what we as human beings do. We, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. We're created by God to worship. We'll worship something. And if we're not worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ of the Bible, we will create for ourselves a God to worship. That's where most people in America, most people in America are worshiping a Jesus that they've made out of their own hands. They're not worshiping the God of the Bible. They're worshiping a God of their own mind. That violates what God has told us to do. We are, ma- we are made by God to worship. And so hence, the violation of what God tells us to do, not to do here will come to pass. And then I think of Romans chapter 1, where we worship creation rather than the creator. So the foundation and platform upon which we worship and evangelize has to be God's written word. Not a photograph, not a, not a story, but rather the, the, the sacred text alone has to be the foundation upon which you and I worship and evangelize. Amen? Now, we can see what happens when we have God's word as our foundation in verse 4 of chapter 17 in Acts. And listen, as he persuades, he's reasoning with them from the scriptures. So he's using scripture as his foundation and platform to stand on. And verse 4 says, and some were persuaded. Some were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas and did as, as did a, many, a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. When God's word is proclaimed, it does not return void. Isaiah chapter 55, 11 tells us this is, So shall my word be that goes from my mouth. It shall not return empty or void, but it shall accomplish. Now listen, God's word will accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the things for which I sent it to do. So God has his word and he says, my word will accomplish what, it's, what is needed. God's word will accomplish what it was set out to accomplish. Faith, back to what I said, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And God's word will draw those that need to be drawn. Amen? God's word will draw those that need to be drawn. His word does not return void. This is the beautiful thing. At the end of this, Jesus wins. Amen? Jesus wins at the end of the day. He's not, he doesn't, oh man, he's not up in heaven going, man, I hope so. Man, I hope I can get him. I hope I can get her. That makes our God feeble and silly if that's the truth. He's a sovereign king and he will get what he wants. Amen? He will get what he wants. God's will will accomplish. Jesus doesn't lose at the end of the day. God gets the glory out of all things. You'll say, well, some might say, well, Caleb, wait a second. You're a little premature there. Didn't you see verse 5? Verse 5, you, yeah, yeah, verse 4 says he's persuaded by some, but you didn't read verse 5, Caleb. Okay, let's read verse 5. 
But the Jews, they were jealous. And taking some of the wicked men and the rabble, they formed a mob and they set the city aroar, up in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out into the crowd. Well, see, that's the point of God's word. God's word brought that out in these wicked men. God's word reveals the depravity and the presupposition that was made, it was made manifest in their own lives. Like I've said over and over, you're either going to be an object of God's mercy or you're going to be an object of God's wrath and justice. And here is the thing. Remember Acts, okay. Remember a couple of weeks ago in Acts chapter 13, verse 48? This is how we know that God's word does not return void. It just it doesn't, it doesn't return void. I'm going to read this out of the New Living Translation. It helps a little bit of, I think I like how this reads a little bit better. And we're going to start and it says, When the Gentiles heard these things. Now, what did they hear? Verse 37 of Acts 13. For so the Lord commanded us saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. So, they hear the gospel and they hear the message of salvation in verse 47. I'm sorry, yes, verse 47. And because of that, in verse 48, because they heard the gospel preached, what happens next? They were very glad and thanked the Lord for his message. Thank the Lord for his message. And all who were appointed or chosen for eternal life became believers. Uh, I read that, like I said, out of the New Living Translation, it gives very, it's, that's very clear. There was an appointment that was set for what? Verse 47 says, salvation for the Gentiles. This thing comes out. God's word doesn't come return void. Those that have an appointment or are chosen for eternal life, they believe. Why do they believe? Because faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. They heard God's word per- proclaimed and preached and as a result of that what happens they're saved glory to god so back to isaiah 55 11, god's word it shall not return empty but it shall accomplish that which i purpose it to accomplish and it will succeed in the things that i sent it out to do so In this moment in Acts chapter 17, God's word did what it was supposed to do. It persuaded some and it enraged others. It persuaded some and it enraged others. Regardless of what happens in these individual lives, God receives the glory out of all things. He receives glory by either being, by demonstrating mercy to some And he also receives glory by demonstrating justice to others. All right, let's keep going. Verse six through nine. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have also now come here. And Jason received and Jason has received them. And they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, comma, Jesus. Jesus. Listen. Well, let's keep going to verse 8. And the people 
of the, and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. Listen, it should be a normal thing that we are turning the world upside down. Christians should be turning the world upside down. Amen? We, are never de- we were never designed by God to stay quiet on spiritual, social, or political issues. Because all of those issues are actually biblical issues. There's no such thing as a secular sacred divide. I know that we have been just taught over and over again that oh, separation of church and state, separation of church and state. No! That is not a, that is not a genuine thing. That's not what it meant. That's not, don't, don't believe that for one second. Don't believe that. For a believer, all things are sacred. So we are to actively proclaim God's word over all things. Doesn't matter if I'm putting a sign up in the western part of Kansas or if I'm working in a doctor's office or if I'm standing behind the sacred desk. All things are sacred and for the glory of God. All things. Hmm. Like, listen, we, you and I are entrenched right now at this very moment in a cultural war. And sadly, most Christians do not have the desire to actually engage because they are afraid of the social credit backlash that might, might occur, i.e., I'm afraid I might lose my job or I might not get the promotion I've been hoping I'd to get. And I might get left out of certain social circles. I might not get to be a part of the crowd that I really want to be a part of. Do you not remember Galatians? Remember, remember last year when we went through the book of Galatians? Chapter 1, verse 10. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Am I trying to please man? If I'm still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. If we're not standing up for righteousness and holiness in the world that... That, that is a, that in a world that's hellish in nature, we are in direct violation of God's word. We need to repent and stand boldly on God's word. You and I need to stand on God's word. And as a result of God's word, God's word will accomplish what it was designed to accomplish. And here's the thing. You might persuade some. I've, pers- I, I've gotten by the... Guess what? It wasn't you that persuades anybody. It's not Caleb Gordon that, oh, because Caleb Gordon said it, I think I'm going to follow Jesus. No, uh, no, no, you didn't. You follow the Lord Jesus Christ because the Holy Spirit awakens you to his, not, to his presence, period. That's it. We, we're here, and, and you might persuade some, but here's the thing. You just might enrage some others. You might, and that's Okay. Either way, it's okay because God gets the glory in the end. And you just be consistent and faithful to stand up boldly for the gospel and the Lord Jesus Christ in the places where you are. Amen? Okay, so back up. Verse 7 continues after it says, These men have turned the world upside down and they've come here now. And on top of all this, Jason has received them. Jason, Jason, the guy that was in, our neighbor here, Jason's received them. And they're acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, and his name is Jesus. One of the highest crimes in this day, one of the highest crimes was to say that there was another king other than Caesar. 
But let me tell you all something. There is a higher king. Amen. There is a higher king than Caesar. There is a higher authority than that of the president of the United States or the king of England or wherever else you want to, the king of Dubai, the prince of Dubai or wherever. There is a higher authority than those that are in authority. His name is King Jesus and he is the only one that we are to worship. That's it. There is no other name above heaven and earth that is to be praised. I don't, listen, I'm not praising Joe Biden's name at the end of the day. And I'm not doing that to Donald Trump either. It's King Jesus that I'm, allergic, that I'm allegiant to. My allegiances go to Jesus and Jesus alone. And I love verse 8. And, and the people in the, the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. What were they disturbed about? They were disturbed because these men came in and said, we just talked about it in Sunday school. Paul Washer said it just a couple weeks ago in a sermon. He said, I could become a much more popular preacher if I could just say Jesus is a Savior rather than the Savior. I could be a much bigger preacher if I said Jesus is a pathway to heaven. He is a Savior. Oh, but let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, Jesus is the Savior. Period. There's no other Savior that can save us. It's an exclusive offer. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Regardless of what Oprah says, it ain't happening. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. We need to be doing the things, we, we need to be doing things in such a way that the world radically knows that we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. We should not blend in and look or feel like the world. We should stick out like a sore thumb. Amen? That's what we should be. We should be like Paul did in Romans chapter 1 where he says, I'm eager to preach the gospel. I'm eager to preach the gospel to those that are in Rome. We're called to be salt. We're called to be light. And that's what we're supposed to be doing. And listen, we'd better be turning the world upside down. Because listen, our example all through the text, all through the text is where men and women turned the world upside down. Like this is, this is not our permanent residence. Can I get an amen from somebody on that? I'm just thankful this is not my permanent home. My permanent home is beyond the stars. We, we've got we've to look different. We better be turning the world upside down or the world is going to turn, the, turn us upside down. And the sad thing is that we're not doing this and we're seeing as a result this play out in our children's lives. Eight out of ten evangelical children, not lost children, eight out of ten evangelical children are leaving the faith by the time they're freshmen in college. Why? Because Christian parents are not actually activated for Christ. They're affiliated with Christ. And being affiliated with Christ ain't going to cut it. We've got to go deeper into with we've got to go deeper with the humans in our care. And I'm talking to grandparents here too, because there's a lot of grandparents where you're taking care of your grandkids the majority of the time. Your children that are in your care, the humans that are in your care, you've got to go deeper into their spiritual development. What does God command of us out of Deuteronomy chapter 6? I'm glad you ask. 
That's a great question. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. Listen to this. Hear, O Israel. Well, actually, I want to go, go a little bit deeper. I've got it written here, but I, I, the more I've thought about it this morning, I want you to see this because it's bigger than just that portion of 5 through 9. Because we get a, we get a command in the beginning half of Deuteronomy. It says, this is the commandment, the statutes, and the rules that the Lord your God commands me to teach you that you may do them in the land in which you are going as that are going over as you're going to possess it that you may fear the Lord your God and that your sons and your sons sons by keeping all statutes and its commands which I command you all the days of your life that your days may be long all right so we've been given a command. I know there's some, well, Caleb, that's, that's directed at, that the, the, the contextualization there is Israel. Okay, yes, but there's application for you and I here. There's application for you and I in this moment. Verse 5. Because, the, because of the statutes and the commands of God, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, this is what you're to teach, that the Lord your God is the only God. He is the one. Verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your hearts, and you shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them in when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and you shall put them as fauntlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Listen, dear Christian parents and grandparents, you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might, and you're to teach your children and your grandchildren to do the exact same thing. And that is not primary. Listen, I just want to preface this. That is not primarily played out in this room. It is primarily played out in the rooms of your house. That is where you're supposed to do that. You're supposed to teach your children. You're supposed to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might in your home, in the grocery store, at the car wash. And you're, as you're sitting in your house, you're to teach your kids that exact same thing. Sadly, the evidence is that most Christian parents are not. Because the, the, the evidence is there. Eight out of ten Christian kids, Christian kids, are walking away from the faith by the time they're freshmen in college. Most Christian parents are relying on the church to reach and teach their kids about God, and that's where we've gone wrong. Mom, Dad, it's your job to reach your children and to teach your kids about God, and the church and the pastor are to come alongside you and affirm what you're already doing at home. Christian parents, we have to go deeper into our kids' spiritual development. We have to. Look at Deuteronomy 6, 7 through 9. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house. And when you walk by the way. And when you lie down. And when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hands. And they shall be as fontlets between your eyes. And you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. For most Christian parents, this room and this 
Time is where we have the bulk of our biblical conversations. And sadly, it's me, the pastor, that are doing, that's doing the bulk of the talking. We need to be having conversations about the Bible in our homes, about culture in our homes. We need to be having conversations about sexuality, about race, about everything in our homes. We better be having these conversations in our homes with our kids because they will be swept up into a pagan system if you're not. And I'm not talking about a rage lecture. Like that doesn't, like I've, I've done, kids, have I done a rage lecture before? Does that work? Yeah. Rage lectures don't happen. Like that, it, it doesn't work. Having meaningful conversations with your kids, asking meaningful questions, and then figuring out a way to actually be salt and light in a dark and dying place. Like we're to release our children. Like that's, blessed is the man whose quiver is full. The idea is I've got arrows that I'm, Sending out into the heart of the enemy. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full. We need to release our children to go make trouble for the enemy. And something, like listen. Like, and I told you guys in Sunday school, we've only been, like we've, we've done this, we've stepped into the public education arena only in the last couple of years. And man, I just feel it's been chaotic. And I'm not, not a fan. I'm feeling some conviction over this. So I'm openly confessing as your pastor that I think I've done something wrong here. But I've put my kids in public education over the last couple of years. And man, I'm seeing some just insanity come out. Uh, my 11th grader is reading a book in English about a kid that's asexual. Why? I thought we were learning about verbs and nouns in English. Prepositional phrases, not somebody's sexuality. And then it, in history, we're, we're learning about our pronouns in history. I thought we were going to talk about the Declaration of Independence in history class. Oh, we're not doing that? Oh, okay. Listen, your kids are being indoctrinated under your own noses, and most parents don't even know it. After our school board election in Bartlesville, the superintendent came out and said to the Gideons, you can't bring Bibles into the schools anymore to just make them available. Not proselytizing kids, but just making the Bibles available. But guess what? We can make available an LGBTQ class and have a conversation with a teacher about LGBTQ, but we can't have Bibles in the schools. So guess what I'm doing? I got two kids in there. They're taking Bibles and dropping them off throughout the school. Let's play. You don't think we're at war? We better be. We better get a mindset that we're in a war. You don't let them bring the Bible in? I got kids that will. I got arrows I'm going to send to the heart. I'm making trouble for the enemy. You'd better do it too. I text my son Friday. I said, son, I'm proud of you. And I'm going to release you to go make trouble for the enemy. And if you get in trouble, I'm still going to stand beside you and love you. Let's go. Come on. Let's make trouble for the enemy. God's created my sons and my daughters for such a time as this. And I've, tell, I've told them both. I've told both my sons, go make trouble for the enemy in your school. Go do it. Listen, Christian parent. You need to train your children for godliness and then release them into the darkness, into the dark world to make trouble for the enemy in the places where they are. But if you, you can't release them if you're not training them. You can't release them if you're not training them. And I'm not talking about your stinking balls. We're training these kids up to shoot a ball, lob a ball, do something with the ball. It will not matter in 10,000 years. Your kid's soul will.
Dear, dear Christian parent, you would better be training your kids up because if you're not training them, someone else will and those people will release your children into your life to make your life a living hell. I've seen it personally in my own life where I have friends and my parents' friends who didn't train their kids up and now their kids are raging crazy atheists or feminists or whatever, trans something. And my son just had a conversation with a, a friend of ours, a fellow youth pastor in town, where the parents came and said, listen, little Johnny, he thinks he's a girl, but he's a boy and we need you to handle this. No! No, mom, no, dad, you need to handle it. You need to open the Bible to Psalms 139 and say, listen, God didn't make a mistake. Amen? God didn't make a mistake. God made you just the way you're supposed to be. You're not an accident. You're not an accident. You'd better be training your kids up because if you're not, somebody else will. I just went to the cereal aisle. Just go into the cereal aisle. That trash is being taught on cereal boxes. You can be you, whoever you want to be. What do you want to be? You want to be a boy, a girl, or a unicorn? What? What do you want to be? A boy or a girl? What? Where is that coming from? Oh, it's coming from the enemy because the enemy knows that he's at war and he wants to take your kids. But here you say, well, Caleb, you sound like you're an alarmist today. I am sounding the alarm that we as Christian parents and grandparents better wake up to the fact that the enemy is actively waging war against you. But guess what? Greater is he that's in me that's in the world. I know we're Baptists, but we should get excited about that. Greater is he that's in me than is, the, than it is in the world. It, the enemy loses. Satan will lose at the end of this. He might win some small battles, but I'm telling you, the primary war is going to be won by King Jesus. And we need to just get, I'm telling you, we need to get all in on this and say, Christ, you are to be exalted and I'm going to preach and teach my kids and those that are in my care that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Even if it seems weird sometimes. When my, my son, Carter, can attest to this, when, when Carter or when Noah has buddies spend the night, you know what we're doing before we go to bed? We're praying together and we're reading the word together. That's it. But that didn't, that doesn't, that's, that's not just exclusive to them. Gabe and Austin had the same thing. Hannah had the same thing. And something that we do, and I think, Carter, you're doing this now too. You can tell me yes or no. But at night, sometimes they want to hear something or have something, just noise in the background. The, I started this with Hannah. We play sermons. We used to play my dad's sermons, but then we jumped and we go to John MacArthur, Vody Bauckham, um, Steve Lawson, all these different solid biblical preachers. We just play that audio in the background as they're sleeping. So as they're sleeping, they hear God's word being proclaimed and preached by solid biblical men who love the Lord Jesus Christ. And how's that working out for you guys? Yeah. How long have you been doing that, brother? About a month now? He's been doing it a month. And man, I'm telling you, just taking small steps like that where you say, okay, you're laying down tonight and maybe you're playing Twinkle Twinkle Little Star and they're listening to that as they go to sleep. Listen, a good preacher will get, put a kid to sleep. <laughs> just, just, I say, none of my kids are asleep. Maybe I'm not a good preacher. 
But I'm telling you, that's what we need to be doing. Noah, Noah gets to pick between John MacArthur, Vody Bauckham, or Steve Lawson. That's his, that's his, at night, that's what he gets. Like, and he's like, when we first start, Dad, can I watch a movie? No, you can't watch a movie, but you can hear a sermon. Just go with that. I guess that's how, you, that's how you train a kid up. You start there and then reinforce that by actually opening the word and talking about it. I'm telling you, we can win. We can win. Christians, we've been given the authority. The scripture says we've been given authority. Dad, gum, we need to just take it and run. Take the authority and go. You've been given the authority. Now go make trouble in the enemy's camp. Amen? We can do this. I believe we can. All right, stand together. You've been listening to a sermon from Pastor Caleb Gordon of First Baptist Church of Cedarville, Kansas. We pray this message encourages and blesses you this week. If you'd like to join us to worship in person, we meet every Sunday at 11 a.m. at 418 Monroe Street in Cedarville, Kansas. We would love to see you. Find out more about us online at our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Cedarvale First Baptist. If these messages bless you in any way, please consider giving to help support the ministry of First Baptist Church. Our mailing address is First Baptist Church, Cedarvale, Kansas, P.O. Box 456, Cedarvale, Kansas 67024. God bless you.